verses together. Once you have found 1 Corinthians 3, if you would stand for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to talk about a subject tonight that I'm very passionate about and very excited to preach about. And hope to not only preach to you a little bit, but uh, give you some pointers that will equip you and enable you to be more confident in sharing your faith with the world around you. 1 Corinthians 3, let's read from verse 1 down through verse 8. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither uh, yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Tonight we're going to continue our series on persuading for the Savior. And we're going to look in great detail at this topic of casting the seed, casting the gospel seed. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us tonight to uh, understand uh, what it is we're supposed to do, but not only understand what we're supposed to do, but Lord, a little bit better of how to do it. And Lord, this is a topic that is um, difficult for many Christians. So help us, Lord, to um, look at our where we fall short, maybe where we could do a little better. Uh, in sharing our faith, and then, Lord, just commit to make an attempt at it and grow at it and become better at it as we seek to tell the world around us about the gospel. What a great responsibility. What an important responsibility. And so, Lord, equip us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is addressing a church who is very divided. And um, we don't have the issue here that this church had, but uh, I know of churches and have been to churches that had this issue. There are churches out there that would say, I am of Bob Jones. And another group within the church says, I am of Pensacola. These are, these are Baptist colleges, okay? I am of West Coast. I am of New England Baptist. I am of Hiles Anderson. And you see little factions and divisions and, and whatnot within the church. I'm glad we don't have so much of that uh, here at our church. And Paul is making the point that, listen, some of you are of Paul and some of you claim you're of Apollos. Uh, but can I just tell you, Paul and Apollos are doing the same job. It's God that gives the increase. Paul and Apollos are nobody in comparison to who God is. They are nobody. Now, Paul and Apollos have a job, and that is to plant the seed or cast the seed and water the seed. But he that plants, casts, and he that waters, they're one. And let's not focus on them. Let's focus on God who gives the increase. Now, God gives the increase, and God is the one that saves, but God has commanded his disciples to be the ones that plant 
and water. Now, please understand within the passage here, Paul is minimalizing himself and minimalizing Apollos for the sake of raising up Christ. Just like uh, John said in John chapter 3, verse 30, I must, he must increase, but I must decrease. That doesn't mean that my work for Christ must decrease. That means that my opinion of myself and my pride and, and my fame and my status must decrease and he must increase. If the work of the Lord is going to be done here on earth, it is us that must get busy doing his work so that he can work through us. If we're not going to share the gospel with the world, then the world may never know the gospel. Why is it that there are people who will live their entire life and never hear the name Jesus and go to hell? Why does that happen? Is it because God didn't love them? Is it because Jesus didn't die for them? Is it because Jesus doesn't want them to come to repentance? The reason why some people will live and die and go to hell and never once hear a clear presentation of the gospel is because somewhere walking the earth, there is a Christian who disobeyed God's command to go to that person and spread the gospel. We must go. We must tell. Jesus's role was to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus's role was to make the way. And then he looked at his disciples and he said this. He said, go tell the world. Go and tell the world. And so it is our place to cast forth that seed. It's our place to cast forth that seed. Now, unfortunately, many Christians do not take that role serious. They think that because they put money in the plate for missions that they've done their part. Is putting money in the plate toward missions part of it? Yes. You cannot go abroad and be at home at the same time. We give so others can go, but we are to go to our own mission field here. Here. The truth is, up and down Main Street Putney, we have neighbors who have no idea how to go to heaven. Within the shadow of our church. Oh, it isn't that people haven't knocked on their door and tried to tell them. Part of it is they don't want to listen. But how about the people in Stratford that do want to know, but no one's telling them? How about the people down on your street, your neighbors, your co-workers? Um, I, 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 I tell my kids sometimes, we're driving up and down Briarwood Drive where we live. We live toward the end of the road. It's a dead-end road. There's probably 20 to 30 houses on our road. And we'll get three or four houses up, and I'll tell my children, I'll say, I don't even know who lives in that house. I've never met them. Our neighbors are very keep to yourself. They don't want to talk with me. Or much anybody else. And uh, you'll see this, you know, be a good neighbor and don't talk to me attitude. Okay? But what I'm getting at is they need Jesus. They need to know. You say, well, but but you're nothing. It's God that gives the increase. That's 100% true. But God has left it up to me to tell them. And if I don't tell them, how are they going to know? Now, God's going to do the one that be the one that saves their soul, not me. But God may never save their soul if I don't do my part in telling them. Christian, let me ask you this question today. Do you love souls more than money? Do you love the souls of men more than money? Here's a good test for you. If I were to tell you tonight that for every gospel track, 
you distribute over the next seven days, we're going to give you $100 toward your mortgage. Would you give out more gospel tracts? If I were to tell you today, or your rent, some of you here don't have a mortgage, you have a rent. If I were to tell you here today that for every person you bring to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ over the next month, we're going to give you $1,000. Ooh. Would that maybe motivate you a little bit more to share the gospel with the world around you? I'm going to stay behind the pulpit, guys. We're having struggles here. Uh, Would that that maybe not motivate you more to give the gospel to folks? If the answer is yes, it would, deep down in your heart you know, well, then you love money more than you love souls. You love money more than you love souls. Um, It isn't that we don't... It is, let me rephrase this. It isn't that we can't. It's that it truly, really isn't that important to us. You all okay tonight? Really isn't that important to us. The Bible says you cannot love God and money. You can only love one. You have to despise the other. You only serve one. And if all of a sudden, if I were to announce that uh, we're giving out $100 bills for every gospel tract that's passed out that you can prove, if every tract in our building disappeared in a couple of days, well, then that shows me where your love is. That shows me where my love is if I'm willing to do that. What ought to be the driving force behind telling others about Jesus? The fact that they have an eternal soul and that they could spend eternity in hell if I don't tell them about Jesus There are people who will say, well, giving out the gospel, I'm not called to do that. I'm sorry. If you're saved, you're called to do it. You say, well, I'd give out the gospel, but I'm an introvert and I'm shy and timid and I'm scared to do that. Well, that may be the case. And I don't mean to belittle you or put you down. I understand that is a real fear. We're going to talk about that here in a minute, how to overcome that. But just because you are afraid to speak with people on a subject that you don't know as well as you ought to does not mean that you get to turn around and walk away and say, well, I'm just never going to do it. You say, well, this one time I passed out a track and someone came to church and got saved. Hey, praise the Lord. Don't live in the past. What about now? What about what about your coworkers? I, I, I've said this. I've said this probably even recently, but I am scared to death that at the judgment seat or the great white throne judgment, while somebody that I knew is getting drugged and thrown into hell, they put a finger up toward me and say, you knew me and you didn't tell me because you were afraid of what I was going to think of you. Shame on you. You say, well, pastor, that will never happen. Listen, I don't know if it'll happen or not, but the fact that it might happen is enough to scare me to a place where I want to tell everybody about Jesus. Now, how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, it? It can be a daunting task to approach someone that you don't know and tell them the gospel. Can I tell you what's even harder than that? Oftentimes approaching someone you do know and telling them the gospel. That can be even harder. Um, you know what? If I approach somebody uh, in the parking lot at Walmart and try to tell them about Jesus and they get upset with me, say worst case scenario, they, they, they take a swing at me, they throw something at me, they call the police on me, I'm going to get in my car and I'm probably, likely, never going to see them again. But you know who I am going to see again? My family at a family reunion. You know who I am going to see again? 
my neighbor. You know who I'm going to see again? My coworkers. And so telling them the gospel can just kind of make things weird a little bit, can't they? Being honest. I tried to witness to Pastor David one time, and our relationship has never been the same. Let me tell you. <laughs> whatever your relationship is, whatever your relationships are, whether or not it makes it awkward, you still have an obligation to tell them. Let me give you three thoughts tonight, and um, I hope when you leave tonight you are more equipped and capable of telling others about Jesus. Number one, notice, purpose in casting the seed. Purpose in casting the seed. Letter A, notice the word courage. Turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. We're done in 1 Corinthians 3. Ephesians 6 and verse number 19. Courage. You uh, get ready to tell someone about the Lord and your hands start to get sweaty and your legs start to shake and your mouth gets dry and your tongue cleaves to the roof of your mouth and uh, you think you've got so much cotton in your mouth you could spit out a sweater. You're so nervous. And what do you do? Look at verse 19. As and for me, the utterance, that utterance may be given unto me. You know what that means? When the cat has your tongue and you just don't know what to say and you're... Utterance be given to you. you. You know you need to do it and you're on the edge of doing it, but you just, how do you get started? He says, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now the gospel is not a mystery to me and you, and it's not even a mystery uh, today in the same way it was when this was written. But can I tell you that to those that are lost, the gospel is a mystery. And by the way, once they get it figured out, it is a wonderful mystery. It is a glorious mystery. But you have it figured out, and they don't. And he says here that God may give me utterance, uh, the ability to open my mouth and utter forth that I can speak with boldness or boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Look at verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Notice that last phrase, as I ought to speak. How should every Christian speak about the gospel? Boldly. Boldly. That means you're not afraid of hurting anybody's feelings with the gospel. Now, I didn't meet this sweet lady, but boy, I have heard her name mentioned probably more than any other church member in my time here. Who am I talking about? Oh, man, you all know I didn't even say her name. Did she not live out verse 19 and 20? To a place where she just about ran people off, didn't she? People walk in the door and, are you saved? Um, I'm just visiting. I don't know if I'm, what's saved? And uh, boy, she was after everybody, wasn't she? I wish I could have seen her in action. I've seen people like her in action, but I, I never got to meet Sister Gail. What a godly woman. What a godly woman. She spoke with Courage. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. That's to the right if you're in Ephesians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. Just a handful of books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. You say, well, Pastor, what about when it isn't easy to give the gospel? Well, we're still supposed to do it. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 2. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated or questioned as ye know, 
at Philippi, we were bold. We spoke with courage. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God. Look at those last three words with much contention. (laughs) He said, even when it got us in trouble, we still opened our mouth with boldness and we confronted even in a contentious manner. With the gospel. Now, by the way, they weren't looking for a fight, but they weren't running from one either. And when there were people coming to them saying, you need to stop sharing that message, they just kept on sharing it. And uh, people continue to press them with, with, you need to stop, you need to stop. And they said, you can be as contentious as you like. We are going to be courageous in our speaking of the gospel. Letter B, notice, compassion. Compassion. Jude verse 22 says, and of some having compassion, make a difference. And some have compassion, making a difference rather. And if some have compassion, making a difference. Um, if you're writing, taking notes, write this uh, quote down and it's a common quote. So you may even already know it, but people do not care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. People do not care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. I've heard Brother Clark from down in New Jersey say this a few times in the last few months, different conferences I've attended. He said, you'll you'll go you'll go a whole lot further spending 10 minutes investing in someone than 10 years trying to get them interested in you. Ten minutes showing interest in someone than 10 years trying to get them to be interested in you. People do not care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. I've been out soul winning with people. And all they want to do is talk about themselves. Can I tell you something? That person that you just met on the street, they don't care about you. They don't. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. You say, well, who do they care about? They care about themselves. And they care about the people within their little world. And if you don't know them, you're not in that circle. So they don't want to hear about your backstory and your life and and your aches and pains. They want to hear what you can offer them that's going to help them. Now, passion without compassion is useless. Passion without compassion is useless. If you take the first three letters off compassion away, you get passion. I've seen some people who are passionate about the gospel, but they were just flat out mean about it. And uh, 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 they they walk up to someone and say, hey, buddy, if you don't repent right now, you're going to split hell wide open. You need to listen to me. You know what? There's no compassion in your voice. That very well may be true that they're going to split hell wide open, but you're not going to get anywhere with them in that manner. They need to see you coming to their door, maybe not with an actual tear in their eye, but that thought, that burden, that desire. What is it that causes Pastor Lejeune and many of the others here to get up every week and at some point get gospel tracts in my hand and go out into a community and take my fingers and knock on someone's door and give them a gospel tract and invite them to church and give them the gospel week after week after week? Why is it that I keep tracts in my car and I give them to people at McDonald's and Walmart and everywhere else I go? Why is it that I do that? It is because I have a burden for their eternal soul that they will go to heaven. That is something that's done on purpose. Courage. Let her be compassion. Listen, when you realize how lost the world is around you and that they're actually going to spend eternity in hell, I don't mean a head knowledge. I mean a heart burden. There are a bunch of you that have been hearing this type of sermon preached for decades. 
but you don't carry gospel tracts and you don't tell people about Jesus. Can I tell you why? You know it up here, but you don't really believe it here. You say, yes, I do. Then why don't you give someone a gospel track? Because you really, really don't believe it here. You believe it here, but you don't believe it here or you would do it. When you let your compassion for the lost world around you drive you, then you will get the courage to go forth and share. Letter C, lastly, under point one, notice context. Context. Turn over with me to the left there, just a few pages. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20. Philippians 1 and verse number 20. It says, according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed... That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Listen, uh, Paul was saying here that I want the story of my life and my death to be that I gave the gospel to anything and everything that moved. That's what I want my testimony to be. Listen, I I made some people upset in giving out the gospel and not everyone loved me because I gave out the gospel. But everywhere I went, everything I did, everything I said, everyone I looked at, I didn't see them as tall and skinny. I didn't see them as wide or 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 narrow or 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 uh, uh, or short. I didn't see them as poor and rich. I didn't see them as black, white, brown, yellow. I didn't see any of that. I looked past all the exteriors and I saw an eternal soul. And I knew that by the percentages, they were probably going to hell. And through my compassion, I gave them the gospel. And I have the context of eternity to give them the gospel. What I'm trying to say this evening is that we must have purpose in casting the seed. If we're not being driven by eternal context, if we're not being driven by a love and compassion for the lost, then we'll never gain the courage or the desire to share the gospel, to take the gospel gospel seed and throw that out in the fields of the hearts of the world around us purpose in casting the seed now i'm going to move into point two next and i'm going to give you that here in a moment and share with you the how-to but can i tell you that you can have all the how-to up here in your head if there's no courage in your heart and there's no compassion in your heart and there's no eternal context the how-to means nothing it means nothing I'm telling you as somebody who has known how to share the gospel with people since I was a teenager and there have been spans in my life, shame on me by the way, but there have been spans in my life where I've gone a month, two months, six months even at times where I shared the gospel with little to nobody. You know why? I had the how-to, I had the know-how, but I was not being driven by compassion. And I'm telling you here tonight, if that's you and that's where you're at, I'm not trying to pick up the biggest rock I can find and hit you between the eyes. I'm trying to tell you I've been there before and I had to get down on my knees and tell God I was sorry. And I had to go back at it. And I would encourage you to do that tonight. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, if I had the know-how, I would do it. Pastor, please give me the know-how so that I can have the courage and I can have the compassion and, and, and have that context. Then let's jump into that. Number two, notice a plan to cast the seed. A plan to cast the seed. So... When you walk up to somebody who does not know about Jesus and you want them to know about Jesus, what do you say? That's that's difficult, right? Especially if you've never done it before. You say, well, pastor, you're a natural at this because you're a pastor. Well, I haven't always been a pastor. And this hasn't always been natural. 
When I was 12 years old, I was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi in a project area. And uh, my father and I were making, or he was making visits, and he said, hey, listen, uh, it was a big open area, and all the doors sort of sort of faced a, court, uh, a large courtyard that was several acres in size. And my father said, I'm going to go on that end and visit uh, this uh, bus child, and you go down on that end and you check up on these kids. And I was 12 years old, and so he could see me. It wasn't the safest neighborhood, but he could see me. And so I finished up my visit, and I'm heading toward my father, and two teenage girls uh, came walking toward me. They had to have been 15, 16 years old. And uh, I stopped them. I don't remember their names. I don't remember a whole lot because I got nervous and my hands started to sweat and my blood pressure shot up and, 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 and I was, I was scared. And, and I said to them, I uh, asked them their names. I said, can I tell you how to go to heaven? And they said, sure. And I said, really? And they said, sure. Yeah. Tell us. And I said, I wasn't expecting you to say yes. Um, uh, I don't know if I said that out loud. That's what I was feeling and thinking. And I said, well, I guess I have to tell them. And so I took a gospel track or a New Testament, whichever it was, and I began to show them what I'm going to tell you. And at the end, I looked at them and said, would you like to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? And they said, yes. And I said, you would? And they bowed their head and they prayed. And I have to tell you, listen, I've never done street drugs. I've had some you know, painkillers after surgery or whatnot on a minimal amount. And uh, I've never been shot up with morphine or anything like that. So I don't know what it's like to be on a drug high, but I can tell you what it's like to be on a spiritual high. You lead someone to Christ and watch them to get saved. And buddy, you have to, someone has to scrape you off the clouds. As it is a euphoria. It is awesome. How many of you here tonight know what I'm talking about? You've led someone to Christ. That is a euphoria. It is Phenomenal. And listen, it never gets old. It never gets old. Just like a drug addict goes back to the street to get his next hit. Listen, sometimes as a Christian, I have to go out to the street and leave someone else to the Lord so I can get my spiritual hit. That I can just go back and say, whoa, Lord, this is awesome that you would use a pathetic, worthless sinner like me to see someone come to a saving knowledge of you. Hey, you get the credit. You saved them, but I got to be there to witness it. I took the hand of the sinner and the hand of the Savior, and I brought them together and watched you save their soul. Oh, my goodness. It is the greatest experience that a Christian could have. So what do you tell them? Letter A, our message, our message. You're in essence going to convey to them four basic truths, all right? And so they cannot be saved until they first admit that they are lost. You ever try to give, ladies, you ever try to, back before GPSs, you ever try to give your husband directions and he wouldn't take them? Huh? All right. By the way, I made the GPS voice in my phone a man. Because I ain't having no woman give me directions, bless God. That's a true story. Um, call me a chauvinist all you want. I don't care. I probably am, and I'm going to admit it. Uh, but um, uh, you ever, ladies, you ever try to give a man directions or tell him how to go somewhere, and he, um, he wasn't listening? He had to admit he was lost before he could be saved from being lost. You cannot lead someone to Christ until you take them to a place where they are lost. They are without hope. They are under the condemnation of sin. And so you're going to begin with the hard part of the message and then take them to the good part of the message. I alliterated this for you, not that it needs to be alliterated, but that's just what I do. Notice the first thing you're going to share with them is our condition. 
Now, the uh, word there, hour, is important because uh, you, you don't want to put your finger in their chest and say, you're a dirty, stinking, rotten sinner. You want to start by saying, I am a sinner and so are you. In fact, I am probably a worse sinner than you are. You say, but I can't say that. What if I'm not? Well, Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners. If Paul can be the chiefest of sinners, and he was a pretty godly man, then I think I can call myself probably a worse sinner than the next guy. All right. I can't. Let me see here. I can't move away. Can someone get me a handheld mic? Because I want to walk away from the pulpit here and my mic's not working correctly. Make sure if it's green, make sure it has battery in it just because the batteries in it were were almost dead prior um, uh, to that. Okay, run that up here uh, to me if you wouldn't mind. And let's see, Brother Vara, can you be my help tonight? Um, no, I'm not going to do anything that would embarrass you. I'm not planning on doing anything that would embarrass you. I can't make any long-term promises, but we'll see how this goes. Okay. Thank you. Okay, come on up here on the platform. And so this is uh, Michael Vara, friend of mine, good man. And um, I'm going to meet Mike right here. And I'm going to walk him through the four steps, okay? And uh, I'm going to show you how I would do it if I met Mike on the street and he didn't know Jesus, okay? So this is what it would look like. I walk up and, hey, how are you? My name is Richard. What's your name? It's good to meet you, Michael. We probably should get him a mic too. Someone want to run him a mic up here? Sorry, guys. I should have thought through this a little bit uh, better ahead of time. But uh, we'll get it. And so, uh, Michael, it's good to meet you. Um, uh, I'm out from White Oak Baptist Church, uh, and I want to give you an invite. Here comes that microphone, sir. Uh, I wanted to give you an invite to our church. Uh, do you have a church you attend? No. Okay. So you don't go to church. Do you have a religious background? Did you go anywhere growing up? Catholic. You grew up Catholic. Let me see. Yeah, turn him up if you don't mind. All right, so you grew, you grew up Catholic, and so you know who God is, and yes, you know who Jesus is, and uh, you know what the Bible is. And, and so these are things we have in common, and we believe Mary was the mother of Jesus, and she was a good woman, and we believe the Bible is God's word. Do you believe the Bible is God's word? Yes. Very good. And so what I want to do is ask you just this really simple question. If you were to stand in front of heaven's gate right now, and God were to say to you, Mike, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? Speaking as a Catholic, probably because I did my sacraments. Okay, so you've done some things and been a part of some some religious rituals that would, yes, would help get you in. Okay, Would you say there's any other reasons why God should maybe let you? You're building a case for God. Why should I let you in? Good guy. You're a good guy. Okay, you take care of your neighbors. You honor your parents. You, you try to treat people right. Okay. No, I, I hear you. And you know what? I'm not here throwing stones at you. I'm sure you're a good guy by society standards. But, Mike, we don't get into heaven based on what what we think of ourselves. We get into heaven based on what God thinks of us. Yeah. You get where I'm coming from here? I want to take just a few minutes, and I want to show you what God's Word says about how you can have eternal life, about how you can know you're going to heaven. Not just some maybe so or hope so but how that you can know so, and not by my opinion or your opinion, but from God's word and God's opinion. Four simple things I want to show you and make sure you understand that. Could I, could I take just a moment Absolutely. of your time and show you that? All right, now I have been friendly with him. I've been professional with him. I've invited him to church. Notice the question I asked him. If you were standing at the gate of heaven and God were to ask you, 
Why should I let you in? What would you tell him? Now, I could have said to him, do you know for sure you're going to heaven someday? He probably would have said yes. And then I would have had to said, well, how do you know that? And then that just gets into a big back and forth. And so I've gotten away from using that approach. So I'll instead ask him a very specific question. Very specific question. You're saying a hypothetical question. You're standing at the gate of heaven. God says, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? He's probably either going to tell me I'm a good person. I go to church or I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. He's going he's to give me an answer that helps me to know whether he's saved or lost. Now, when he gives me his answer in the back of my mind, I'm thinking one of two words. I'm thinking saved or I'm thinking lost, but I'm not going to blurt out lost. That wouldn't be a good idea. You with me here? And so I'm going to say, say, I'm thinking saved or lost. Now, if he says lost, I want to transition into giving him the gospel. And so the first thing I want to hit with him is his condition. And I would pull out a New Testament or a gospel track, much like the one I have here. Uh, and I would say, let me just show you four simple things that you need to know about how to go to heaven. The first one you need to understand is that you are a sinner. <clears throat> Right here it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I would take a few minutes and I would explain to him what sin is. I would explain to him that we're all guilty of it. I would show him that uh, no matter how good of a man he is, he has still done wrong. All right. I would take uh, a good three to five minutes and I would explain that. Then I would move on and show him, notice uh, uh, the next blank there, our consequences, our consequences. And I would show him Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. I would define the word wages. We're having some sound issues. Is it out there or is it just up here on the platform? All right, we're all good. Okay, so I would explain to him uh, that uh, we, uh, uh, I would explain to him the word wages. And I would explain to him again the word sin and death. Wages. Sin and death. If you want another verse to put down with Romans 6.23, you can take them to either Revelation 20.14 and 15 or Revelation 21.8. Both of those talk about a second death and that being hellfire. All right? And uh, show him that. That word wages means payment. I'm going to show him that because he's a sinner, he deserves to die and go to hell. Now, that's a tough thing. I'm not going to put my finger in his chest and say, you, Mike, deserve to go to hell. What I'm going to say to him is that because I am a sinner and I have broken God's law, I deserve to go to hell. And you know what? Your neighbors deserve that. And the people on the other side of the world deserve that. And so do you. I'm not going to start with him. I'm going to work my way to him. But nonetheless, I'm not going to avoid this topic. There are a lot of people out there who want to give the gospel and they don't want to mention hell or talk about hell. And you must make clear that they deserve to go to hell before you can help them see how to get to heaven. They need to see how lost they are. Uh, the next thing there, the next thing we cover with them is our Christ, our Christ. That word Christ is the New Testament word for Messiah. Romans 5, 8 says what? It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I make a big deal out of that word for Christ died for us. Now, Mike, if you being a good person would get you to heaven, then why did Jesus come and die for you? Now, they're going to be stumped there. Most everyone is stumped there. If all I have to do is be a good person and keep the sacraments to get to heaven, then why in the world did God send his son to earth to die? He did that because you and I can't get into heaven on our own. 
And then I will, at that point, I will go in great detail and I will tell that person the story about how Jesus came to earth as God's son, how he lived a perfect life. And then I'll talk about how he was arrested and beaten and buffeted and whipped and nailed to a cross. And listen, I'm not saying you need to fake a tear, but if God sends a tear to your eye while you're describing the cross, don't fight back the tears. When this person sees that this has touched you personally... It's going to begin to touch him personally. The Romans 5.8. And then the last thing you want to cover with them is uh, uh, our uh, confession. Our confession. Romans 10.9-13. Uh, Romans 10.9 and 10 say that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth in the righteousness, with the mouth confession is made in salvation. Down to verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verses 9 and 10, you find two body parts and you find two actions. What are the two body parts you find in verses 9 and 10? The mouth and the heart. What are the two actions? Confess and believe. Confess and believe. And that's what a person must do to be saved. Now, sometimes people can't speak. They're mute. uh, uh, Or whatever the reason be, they're on a hospital bed and they can't. They can't utter it. But if a person can pray, they ought to pray. These are the four things that you're trying to go over with them. If you could sit on the front row, I'm probably going to bring you back up in just a minute. You can leave your mic on. All right, so our message. What is it you're trying to convey? Uh, You're trying to convey to them their condition, their consequences, Christ, and that, that they need to confess to the Lord. Now, it is not your place to force them into a prayer. It's your place to explain it to them and offer them an opportunity to pray. The name of the game is not forcing someone to pray a prayer or manipulating someone in a prayer. The name of the game is explaining to them the gospel so that the Lord can work on them and draw them. The Holy Spirit needs to draw our message. Letter B, notice our method, our method. Let me give you some uh, 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 more pointers here with this, all right? The first one is this. Be peculiar, but don't be weird. Be peculiar, but don't be weird. All right? The Bible says that we're called to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean we walk around and act weird. I've seen some really weird soul winners in my days. I've seen some people use some really strange tactics. And these are usually people who are zealous and don't really know what they're doing. My grandmother, and, and listen, these sometimes can have very detrimental consequences. My grandmother was, uh, my father had been working on my grandmother in his teen years to get her to be saved. And she was open to it and considering it. And he had gone to his youth group and told his youth group and told the church, pray for my mom that she'll be saved. And some men got in their car and drove over to her house and parked right behind her. And she came out heading to a very important meeting. She was a paralegal and had to get to a a scheduled uh, work meeting. And and they said to her, ma'am, we're here to tell you how to go to heaven. And she said, listen, I I, I need to get to a meeting and and I need to go. And and now is not the time. Please come back another time. And, And they said, ma'am, we're not moving that car until you listen to us. That's a problem. That's a problem. Oh, she stood there and she listened to him, but she wasn't really listening to him. And once they got through their presentation, she said, you need to go. You need to go. And uh, I don't know all of the reasons why my grandmother never put her faith in Christ, but I know that one's on the list. I know that one's on the list. 
be a peculiar person in that you walk with God and people look at you and say, boy, he's different. She's different. But please don't be weird. Please don't be strange. Uh, I've seen, uh, I saw, went out, saw one of the guy one time, he would put a track on, uh, uh, on the door and a guy came out and said, get that off my door. And so on his way out, he put four of them along the windshield wiper and said, I'll show that guy. I'll show that guy. Be peculiar, but don't be weird. Uh, uh, listen, you need to be able to relate with people. You need to be able to relate with people. If I'm going to talk to Mike about the gospel, um, especially if he's someone I know, I'm going to get to know him, and I'm going to get to know his line of work, and I'm going to get to know his passions, and I'm going to try to give him the gospel in a way that relates to who he is. Now, Mike here is a construction worker. I'm not going to talk in terms of, of a doctor to a construction worker. Hey, Jesus, guess what he was before he went public with his ministry? He was a carpenter. So there are some things Jesus had in common with this guy, and I can maybe build on some of that. I'm not going to get into the book of Luke and all the doctor terms and Dr. Luke. And listen, if I'm talking to a doctor, I'll go down that road. But you have to understand that you're going to be, you're going to be, uh, uh, working to relate to and understand how you're, you're witnessing. Throw the next one up there for me. I don't have my notes on me. By the way, 1 Corinthians 9.22, uh, basically says that we're to be all things to all men. Yet without sin. I meet John over here, and John is an engineer. I'm going to talk to him a little bit different than I am to Mark, who works in IT, or uh, uh, Jim, who works in plumbing, or George, who works in the insurance uh, industry, or George and Mike, who work in the insurance industry. And, and listen, I may meet someone who's a Muslim over here, a Hindu over here. I may meet someone who is uh, just a, a non-practicing Catholic or uh, uh, someone from another background. I'm going to approach each person differently and try to help them. I'm going to try to relate with them. Now, how do you relate with people? Use illustrations that relate. John chapter 3 through John chapter 7, Jesus meets four different people and he gives them the gospel four different ways. You remember with the, uh, with the um, uh, Nicodemus in John 3, he used the example of being born anew. Or born again. Now he was trying to create curiosity in the brain of Nicodemus and then use a very practical, simple thought of childbirth to help him see that you need to be born again into the family of God. Now I gave you those four points, right? What were they? Same with me. Ready? Our condition. Our consequences. Our good, you're awake. Our you need to attach illustrations to each of those. Now, sometimes the illustrations I'll use with one person will be very different than I use with somebody else. For instance, if I'm sharing with somebody about their sinful condition, I want to help them understand how sinful they are. Here is an example of an illustration that I will use. I will say to them, Mike, stand back up and help me here. Okay. I'll say, Mike, between a proud attitude or a white lie, which... Really, there's no such thing as a white lie. But you get what I'm saying, a lie that maybe is a little more innocent than another lie uh, or uh, a bad word. Would you say the average person sins at least three times a day? Oh, yeah. Okay, at least. I would tell you I probably sin three times a day. Do you think that's where you are? Yes. Okay. So how many days are there in a year? 365. By the way, you'd be shocked how many people don't know the answer to that question. Okay, <laughs> you have to help them out. I've asked that question to a lot of people. 365. Okay, for the sake of the math of it, we're going to cut the year down to 333 days. 
So 333 days times three sins a day is a thousand sins a year, right? Right out a thousand sins a year. 999. Okay, 999. Good. I, you're good at math. Excellent. Okay, you're, you're right. You're a, you're a, uh, a construction worker, so you do a lot of math. Okay, so right at a thousand. Okay, now how uh, I'm 35. That puts me at 35,000 sins I've already committed. Never ask a woman her age. All right, <laughs> but you can say this. All right, I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but put three zeros behind it. 59,000. 59,000. And sometimes they'll come out and tell you. Now, if you were to stand in court with 59,000 crimes on your account, I don't care if O.J. Simpson's lawyer is your lawyer. You're not getting out of that. Right? Is that fair? Okay. We're going to stand in front of God with all those crimes. And you know what judges don't care about? They don't care about the good of your life. You're just there for the bad of your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you see what I've done? I've read Romans 3.23, but instead of saying, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, you ever done anything wrong? Yes. Good, you're a sinner. Romans 6.23. Instead, I've taken the time to show him the gravity of his sin. So God can begin to work on him here. Now, I'm going at the head, and I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to work on the heart. You see that? Uh, how about that uh, uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We're going to switch who you are, all right? Let's say that you are a teenage boy and you have a lawn mowing service. Or you're a teenage boy that could have a lawn mowing service, all right? I'm going to tailor the illustration to who he is. Now, if he was a teenage girl, I would tailor it to babysitting, but instead I'm going to use a lawn mowing, all right? You're, you're 16 and I want you to come over and cut my grass and I say to you, I'm trying to explain wages here. All right, Mike, you come over and you cut my grass and you, you do all the weeding and I'm going to pay you 50 bucks. Cash. 50 bucks cash. Cash money. Greenbacks. Yep. All right? I'm going to give you uh, Ulysses S. Grant. All right? Uh, $50 cold cash. I'm in. All right. And you show up at my house and you do all the work and 10 minutes before you finish, I get in my car and leave. And then you come back later and you knock on my door and I won't answer the door. We're going to have a problem on our hands? Yeah, I'm going to keep coming. You're going to turn me over to collections? Maybe, right? You have to do what you have to do. You're going to hire your buddies in the neighborhood to beat me out of it? Call Eric. You call Eric. Yeah, yeah he's your bodyguard. He's the heavy man. He's the heavy. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's got uh, a posse from South Africa that will come get me. So, um, Now, why? Why would you be upset with me? Because there was an agreement on a wage. The Bible says the wages or the agreement uh, or the price, uh, price tag, paycheck of your sin is death. I deserve, I deserve wages when I work, just like you do. We're giving our sin to God, and God says there's a payday coming, and that payday is death. And then I take them to Revelation 21.8, and I show them that that is eternal death in hell. Now, I could just show them Romans 6.23 and rush through it. But I'm not going at the head so that God can work on the heart. Romans 5.8. Again, we're talking about illustrations here. Romans 5.8 is, but God commendeth his love toward us. So we're, we're giving them that Christ is their redeemer. He shed his blood on the cross for their sins. And so we want to show them how they can be saved. And I use, and listen, I do still. I have a list of illustrations that are cute little illustrations that show them that. And, and not that I don't ever use those, but I've gotten away from using those. And I just tell the story about how Jesus lived and died in great detail. You know what I have found is that that really softens people's heart. That really softens people's heart. Romans ten thirteen. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's a great illustration to use. By the way, go out soul winning with different people in our church. I bet John over here, John's an, an avid soul winner. Uh, he's not able to come to our meetings, but he shares his faith everywhere he goes. I bet John has a list of illustrations that he has or illustrations he's heard over the years. I don't even know. All right. Mark probably does. And some of the other men and women around the room, Dave and Bernice Russo probably do. Uh, listen, I'll go out soul winning with my wife and she'll say things sometimes uh, when she's witnessing people. And I'd say, that's genius. I'm going to start using that. And so get around and go with other people and, and, and learn other things you can use. And I'm only giving you one under each to show you the importance of illustrations. By the way, an illustration is a window that sheds light on a subject. An illustration is a window that sheds light on a subject. You all with me tonight? You want to make sure that you're not just telling them the truth. You want to illustrate them the truth. Can I tell you the illustrations are important? How many of you here don't pay attention to anything I say until I start using an illustration, then you wake up? Don't raise your hand. All right, it's guys in the sound booth are raising their hand. All right. Uh, but you know why you generally pay more attention during illustration? Because you like stories. And so do the person, so does the person you're witnessing to. Romans 10, 13. All right, I want you to imagine that you're, we, uh, my family and your family were out in Long Island Sound together in boat, and I fall overboard, and I don't, I forgot how to swim all of a sudden, and I'm gonna drown. And you're in the boat next to me or nearest to me. And I call on your name and I say, Mike, I'm going to drown. Throw me a, a life raft. Throw me a, a lifesaver. And so you, you throw me a piece of candy. No, you throw me, you, you throw me the life raft and I grab hold and you pull me in. I was in desperate need. I was dying and I called on your name and you, you were in a position to save me. Mike, I cannot save your eternal soul, but Jesus can because he died for you. And he's waiting on you to call on him out of desperation in your sin because you're drowning in the ocean of sin. And you need to call on him and say, Lord, save me from my sin. Now, that's just one illustration. And by the way, there's a whole other set of illustrations for kids and, and all that. And you learn these illustrations and it equips you in giving the gospel. Thank you, Mike. One, one last one here. Use illustrations that relate. Throw the next one up there for me. The right tools make the difference. The right tools make the difference. Carry around with you gospel tracks. And I have some in my pocket here. We have those on the back table. Take those and pass those out. In there is the gospel that you can share with people. There's another tool out there I want to tell you all about. How many of you here have either an iPhone or an Android? Would you raise your hand if you have either an iPhone or an Android? All right. I'm going to show you an app that you can put on your phone. I use this all the time, all right? An app that you can put on your phone. The name of the app is Commission. Commission. And um, I'm, I'm going to take you through a video tutorial really quick of how it works. Roll the tape, guys. Uh, and I'm going to talk through it here. Uh, here's my phone, back, uh, background on my phone. It's a little tough to see, but uh, there it is. And uh, you have four different options there. Salvation Explained, Illustrated, Baptism Explained, and then a My Prospects tab and uh, there's salvation illustrated and here you have a guy standing across the canyon our sin creates an impassable canyon and it gives you two verses romans 5 12 and romans 3 23 you're, you're using an object illustration your religion and good works cannot bridge the gap there's bridge of works and religion ephesians 2 8 and 9 and then uh, you can talk through that and explain that for a minute and then it takes you over uh, there jesus paid for our sins on the cross and rose again so that we can know god personally there's romans 5 8 you can explain that to them 
using this visual. And then uh, Romans 6.23 also uh, and, and, uh, helps you with explaining that. And then by placing our trust in Jesus, we have a personal relationship with God and the gift of eternal life. And you tap the verse, and it gives you Romans 10.13. Built right into your phone. Built right into your phone. Download the app and use it. By the way, it's available in all those languages. And I've, I've used the Spanish version to lead people to the Lord in Spanish. But the truth is, if I met someone and they spoke one of those other languages I didn't speak, I could open up the app, put it in that language, hand them the phone after I've chosen that tab, and let them read through it and get the gospel. There's a tool. You can go back to this uh, slide before that. There's the tool. And so use tools. Uh, carry with you a Bible or a New Testament. By the way, what is this here? Uh, Hebrews 4 calls this what? It's a sword, right? I would recommend that you not carry a full-blown Bible out soul winning. People are going to think that you are a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, and they're going to run. Okay? Uh, if this is a sword, a New Testament is a dagger, take the dagger. Leave the sword at home. All right? And um, uh, you pull out a New Testament, and it's far less intimidating. That goes back to that being weird thing. All right? Uh, you don't want to be weird. You, uh, be peculiar, but you don't want to be weird. The right tools make the difference. All right, let me give you uh, one more thought here, and we'll be done. I'm going to set this down and go back to the pulpit mic, Brother Joe. Number three. Number three, persistence in casting the seed. So this has been a mixture of preaching and teaching and trying to help you to know what you are doing there, but persistence in casting the seed. Can everybody turn over to Matthew chapter 25 with me, and we'll finish the sermon here. Matthew chapter 25. with me verse number 23 notice letter a our responsibility is to be faithful our responsibility is to be faithful look here his lord said unto him well done good and what faithful servant thou hast been faithful over a few things i will make thee ruler over many things enter thou into the joy of the lord There are Saturdays where I get in my car, Tuesdays where I get in my car, other days of the week where I go soul winning, sometimes by myself alone, other times with staff uh, or a church man or sometimes even my children. I'll get in my car, I'll go to a neighborhood, I'll go down a street, and you know what? No one comes to the door. Other times where no one wants to hear me present the gospel. There are other times where people will listen to me present the gospel but refuse to put their faith and trust in Christ. At the end of the day, if I am studied up and prepared and going out and doing my dead level best and working my dead level hardest to give out the gospel, if people do not get saved, I'm not going to be judged on what they did with the gospel. I'm going to be judged with what I did with the gospel. Did I give it out? Was I passionate about it? Now, I'm just going to give you my opinion. Can I do that right here? There are places in this world you could spend a lifetime giving the gospel, and maybe you would only see one or two saved if that. No matter how good you did it. 
No matter how crafty you were, no matter how prayed up and godly you were, there are places in this world where it's so godless or they're so steeped in false religion, it may be a little bit more uh, work there to see somebody get saved. But in Stratford, Connecticut, after I have lived here for three years and gone soul winning almost every week for three years and seen people saved uh, 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 every month for three years, the people in this area, if you are faithful, many of them will put their faith and trust in Christ to be saved. You must be faithful. You must be faithful. At the end of the day, you be faithful and you leave the results up to Jesus Christ. But you must be faithful. Don't tell me that God gives the increase if you're not willing to go. You must go. You must go faithfully. You must give out tracts regularly. If you don't have tracts on your person, you're not right with God. There, I said it. You know, you know who gives out gospel tracts? The people who carry them. The people who carry them. And so, uh, Pastor Dave, during the invitation, I went upstairs to get a bunch of tracks and put them on the table so everybody can be right with God tonight. Amen? On the back table. Uh, but we have a responsibility to be faithful. Letter B, notice our reward from the Father. Look at chapter 25, verse 23 again. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Uh, uh, he said, I'm going to make you ruler over many things. God's looking for your faithfulness. And in your faithfulness, he's going to reward you. By the way, there are times where I don't have gospel tracts on me. Some of you have been out with me and you said, Pastor, uh, I didn't see you give a tract to such and such. And if that's the case, then I'm wrong. Shame on me. And oftentimes I leave them in my car because I don't have a pocket I can carry them in. And I get in the store and I go, oh, man, I don't have one. Shame on me. I ought to have those on me. But we are to be faithful in our uh, casting out the seed and telling people about Jesus. And if we're faithful in doing that, the Lord will reward us. Here's what I've learned in my, uh, in my 35 years of life, in my 10 years in church ministry. All right, I'm going to say this and then we'll be done. I have learned... That if I will be faithful in telling people how to get to heaven, then God will be faithful in telling people how to get to my church. Can I say that again? I have learned that if we will be faithful in telling people about how to get to heaven, God will be faithful in getting people to our church. Sometimes I invite Mark to church and tell Mark how to get to heaven and Mark never shows up. But God sends John in the door instead. God says, you know what? They're obedient in giving the gospel. I'm going to send Eric. I'm going to send Dave. I'm going to send Steve. I'm going to send Andres. Because, I, because you were faithful in inviting these, and they're not coming. I know people who will, would come, and because you're being obedient, I'm going to send them. Wild Baptist Church, the name of the game is not numerical growth. It's spiritual growth. But if we're telling people about Jesus, God's going to send people here in multitudes so they can be saved and their lives can be changed. Let's all be evangelistic in our approach. Let's all tell people about Jesus. I hope that the message tonight has equipped you with a little bit more knowledge and give you a little bit more courage. Here's what I'll tell you. Show up on a Tuesday evening or a Saturday morning, and if you're too scared to talk, that's okay. We get it. We'll put you with someone else who will do the speaking, and you can stand behind them and pray for them while they speak. But let's get involved. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, thank you for this truth in your word. Help us to be faithful in casting out the seed. Everywhere we go, everyone we meet, may our thoughts be about their eternal soul. How much money they have, 
uh, what side of the tracks they're from, what the color of their skin is, uh, uh, their, their, their size, whether that's height or weight. None of that matters, Lord. What matters is their eternal soul. Their, their religious background doesn't matter. They have an eternal soul that's going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And Lord, as we give the gospel, some will reject, many will reject. But Lord, we do our part in giving and we leave the results up to you. And Lord, we know that you save. Help us to be faithful in telling. Work in our hearts tonight, Lord. Convict us. Help us to be committed to giving out the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's